Uh, so everyone, without further ado, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy down here, Vlad. We have made it to episode 41 of the Emerging Technologies and Manufacturing theme, and we have a very special guest to, uh, to finish us out on this theme, uh, Bob Meads of IQ Agent. So Bob, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Uh, thank you for being here. I, uh, thanks a lot, David. I'm really excited as we talked last week about, about being here and, and meeting you guys and Vlad, so uh, I'm, I'm excited. No, no, perfect. So, but before we, as everyone knows, we'll have Bob talk about, you know, you know, what he does and specifically in the augmented reality and virtual reality space. But as I was reminiscing with Bob, I was joking about the first time Bob and I met. So this was probably five years ago. And we were at a small brewery at a co-branded Siemens event out in Reno, Nevada. And Bob had flown out from Atlanta. I think I had come in from Buffalo. And we had never met before, and here was the man with the most amazing technology I had ever seen. So he was the first person I had ever met who had an iPad Pro, and he liked to joke that he had to convince his wife that it was an appropriate business expense to get an iPad Pro. But so, so he had like the, the first iPad Pro, and then he comes in and he's talking about augmented reality and virtual reality, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I think that this is still a few years away, but then something amazing happened. Then he pulled out the Microsoft HoloLens, and for some reason, as most everyone at the bar was already drinking, allowed us all to like put it on and experience IQ agent that we'll talk about um, in real life. And it was amazing when you put it on, but it was also the best bar trick in the world because it was one at a time and everyone who put it on looked like complete idiots trying to tell it to do something. <laughs> and I know I had to repeat the, the request five times in a row. And like, I'm trying to point and, and poke at it. Uh, ne needless to say, uh, it is indelibly etched in my memory, and uh, so is Bob. And that was kind of very much my first hands-on steps of, hey, this is actually going to be something. And it may take a little while, but augmented reality is going to, to change the face of manufacturing. Um, so yeah, w welcome, Bob. Can, can you give everyone a little bit more of a background uh, of how you've gotten here and how you got into augmented reality, please? Absolutely, absolutely, and Dave, thank you for that. I remember that. I remember that day and night very well. We had people from the automotive industry and and uh, manufacturing and controls engineers, and it's it's one thing to talk about augmented reality, but to see it in the context, especially of the Hololens, because it's immersive, uh, is really what what gets people excited. But um, my background is kind of varied. I was Navy submarines. Uh, for about seven years. Uh, I was an electronics technician. Uh, I got out. I went to work uh, in a production plant here in Georgia at NEC Technologies. I was a production engineer. We made uh, computer monitors. We made CD-ROM uh, drives, which were brand new back in the 90s. And, uh, and then I went to work for Siemens. And they, I was very interested in driver development and integrating hardware and software back then. And I wanted to work with drivers and things like that. So I got to work with their SCADA product, WinCC, which I fell in love with. And I still work with WinCC, uh, you know, even to this day. And, and Siemens is a, is, a, is a great friend to me as well as customer. And after I left Siemens, uh, I started a company. Um, and it was really around WinCC and Controls Consulting. I met my business partner, Pat Meir. Uh, who I brought on, and he and I did some, you know, some uh, software development together. But 
things kind of changed. You know, I saw development for new technologies kind of picking up. And when the iPad 2 came out, because the iPad 1 didn't even have a camera, um, but when the iPad 2 came out back in 2011, Pat and I uh, were looking at the iPad 2 and we we're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get this on the plant floor and what are we going to do with it? And we were batting around ideas, but it, it occurred to me that every idea we had was already out there. It was just on a computer. Hey, let's make a SCADA client. Well, there's many SCADA clients. Okay, so now you can walk around. I can do that with a, a laptop. And, you know, let's make a database interface and let's do whatever. And so, and I like to joke, and it's partly true that, I came up with the idea for IQ Agent one Saturday morning when I was doing, you know, what most Georgia guys do on Saturday morning. I was cleaning my shotgun and watching The Matrix. And it occurred to me that I wanted to look through this iPad device at plant at the plant, and when it passed a piece of equipment, it would pop up relevant information about that equipment. And, you know, first thing came to my mind was PLC information. Uh, but then later, you know, it was drawings and schematics and stuff like that. And so that's where the concept that was born. And then this is 2011. So uh, immediately hired a developer. Um, we started the patent process, which we do have a patent. And we came up with a lot of different technologies about how to do just that. And I looked at you know, object recognition and dead reckoning and, and things like that. But we came up with the idea of a QR code because it's deterministic, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of how it took off. And then once we did the iPad, then later, you know, we had demand for Android. And then of course the HoloLens came along, uh, the Realware HMT had mounted tablet, you know, also came along. Uh, but that's kind of where it was born. And so, you know, our first customer was in 2012. So we'll be 10 years old in just a, in just a, a month or two. But that's that's kind of how it all started. That's a very interesting introduction, Bob. I, I think, you know, I have several <laughs> questions that uh, I would like you to expand on, but a very interesting, I guess, like fact based on your background, because I think we've had several people that went through the Navy as, uh, you know, technicians on a sub. So I'm thinking that has been a very, you know, interesting experience in itself. So I know it's Sean Terrell, and I believe we had a few others, Dave. I don't know if you remember the names, but it seems like a very, um, I guess, interesting path. And I would assume that it has probably led to many experiences that uh, you can draw from in terms of, you know, like work ethic and just, general i would say like drive to uh work on some of these technological advancements um well but yeah go ahead go ahead sorry yeah yeah well i mean i've actually met a lot of controls engineers that are ex-submariners mm -hmm. um you know we were proud of our dolphins which is the you know the warfare pen that you you work very 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 difficult to earn while on your while you're in the navy there are several people at siemens there was a gentleman named jonathan forrester that some of my Siemens friends will remember who was exceptionally brilliant. But um, we were trained very hard. Uh, it's a very rigorous, rigorous environment. Mm -hmm. I worked on inertial navigation systems, uh, you know, on the boomers out of Charleston. And uh, just about everything we did was classified. I used to joke, you know, when I got married when I was on the boats and I came home one day and my wife says, how was your day? And I said, that's classified. You know, and then I slept out in the yard that night. <laughs> so, but but uh, I do believe it has something to do with it because it's a very rigorous environment. You're surrounded by technology. You, 
you, you know, lend your life and you, you know, you depend on technology because if something goes wrong down, down below the waves, then, you know, you're kind of on your own. So it's a brotherhood, but I do believe that it drives uh, people to, you know, to, uh, to really excel and, and, and technical and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, I would say that technology is in many ways led by a lot of the military applications and also, I guess, AR, VR, we could say that gaming leads some of that technology as well, but it would be also, I guess, interesting to get your perspective on that as we continue the discussion. But, um, you know, going back to the starting point of where you decided to found found the company and uh, found your first engineer, what were your thoughts at the time, right? So this is 2011, you said, and before you, you got your first customer in 2012, were there any maybe like doubts, was there, was there a certainty of what you were going to deliver? What was, I would say, if you could paint us a picture of what was playing in your head as you were diving into this technology that was at the time, I would say like unproven, what were you uh, imagining or thinking at the time? Well, I, I'd never really had doubts that, um, that it would be accepted. And even back then, you know, augmented reality was something very, very, very new. <laughs> Uh, and we weren't really thinking augmented reality. You know, we were thinking about um, applications that would help uh, in the manufacturing. And, and one of the things that uh, as I thought about this and, and I worked, you know, very hard on this technology was the litmus test of this application would not be, hey, look, this is an augmented reality app. It was, wow, this makes my job a lot easier. This is, you know, you know, it's totally uh you know, I just lost the word, but uh, it, it, it helps me do my job. And then later it's, oh, okay, that was augmented reality. And we were, you know, what we really wanted to do was change the paradigm of how people consume data on the plant floor, because you're tied to an HMI panel or you're tied to a control room screen or you're tied to whatever. We wanted to break that tie. And, you know, we felt like mobile applications were going to do that. And this was at a time where you didn't use your, uh, you know, your cell phone on the plant floor because they would not allow you to do that or they were, you know, very strict about it, especially Android phones, because there's a perception that they're less secure than iOS. Um, but we felt like there would be adoption because we saw that adoption for new technology was being accepted much faster and at an accelerating pace than, you know, before, because when I first got into Siemens, um, you know, Windows 95 was out and Wonderware was born on Windows 95. Um, and then, you know, Windows NT, which is supposed to be the kind of industrialized version of Windows, you know, was starting to kind of gain acceptance and, and things like that. So we felt like it was going to be accepted. Uh, and I felt like it was a matter of time. And I had this idea of this mobile workforce, uh, and my very first customer, which was a global um, pharmaceutical company, uh, they were doing things like, you know, they bought like 50 iPads and then they charged for people to go out and say, okay, how do we use these on the plant floor? And so you had these companies that had these, what they call mobility initiatives, mobility, meaning I can walk around with this mobile device. So I knew that it was going to take off and I knew that it was going to be accepted uh, on the plant floor. And we wanted to deliver the application that was different than other applications. Uh, you know, we didn't want an app that you could also have on a PC 
the litmus test for IQ agent was it was worthless if you were on the PC because its its whole innate um, you know productivity and worth came from the fact that it's on a mobile device and and I can make your planner a a, a target rich environment or a data rich environment just by pointing my mobile device at a piece of equipment and instantly getting all the access and that decentralizes how you get data. And it starts to kind of move away from the fixed HMI panel and things like that. And to paint maybe a better picture for the listeners, right? So I've been to several trade shows where there have been demonstrations of, you know, the Rockwell solutions that you would essentially use either like augmented reality goggles or like an iPad, like you've mentioned, and kind of point it at a device. So I believe that the use case in that scenario was like a pump that you could point your iPad on and then it would provide you certain, you know, like data points. So it would say like, what's the temperature it's running at? What's the current like volume it's pushing through? But could you maybe uh, explain to us what could be some other use cases for those who haven't, you know, been to a demo? What would you practically be able to do with let's say an iPad on the manufacturing floor when it comes to augmented reality? Well, we work on what you call the point of interest concept. You know, think of Google Maps for the plant floor. So on Google, you say, hey, show me hotels near me, and it shows you hotels. Um, what we do is we have the point of interest concept. And so in our, you know, in our, in our configuration software, you create a point of interest uh, for anything, a piece of equipment or a part of a piece of equipment or a warehouse shelf or whatever. And then you just drag in information. You can drag in OPC UA data points or DA data points or SQL queries. You can drag in, you know, documents, um, you know, schematics, videos, training material. Uh, and we also have the ability to do workflow and forms. And so you uh, associate all that with the point of interest, pr print the QR code and put it where you want it. Um, and so then from the iPad app or the HoloLens or whatever, you point it, it finds that QR code, and then we pull up all the information that you have uh, for that piece of equipment. And it can be anything. And the beauty of it is, you know, we didn't want to be tied only to augmented reality. So, you know, we tell people one of the biggest things about augmented reality uh, pilots is they have a certain amount of money and it's, uh, okay, we're going to spend, you know, X thousand dollars on these goggles and we're going to spend all this and they're going to end up with an AR demo that works with one person at a time on one piece of equipment, and then they're gonna to try to get ROI out of it. With us, you can do that. You can buy your HoloLens, you can buy your realware, um, but it'll also work on an iPhone 4. It'll also work on an iPad or an Android phone. So you're going to get you know, your, your ROI out of it. But the whole, the whole thing is you tie everything back to you know, your QR code, which you can pull it up on a menu. But it, it, the, the beauty of it is I'm not publishing anything uh, it is not a custom application. It's off the shelf. So if you go put a few data points in a document and then somebody says, hey, you know, we just, you know, we just got the new schematics for that or we just did a training video. You open up the software, drag in the video. Now the next time somebody scans it, boom, the video's there. So it's a live system. Uh, and so you can put any electronic content there that you want. And you're limited to 2.14 billion QR codes. Uh, after that, I guess you're kind of out of luck, uh, but I think the most that a plant that uh, we've got has been about 9,000, so they had, had plenty to spare for their, their equipment. Does that, does that make sense, Vlad? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a very interesting application. I personally can only see this increasing in popularity, especially again with everyone trying to get this just in time information uh, to their yeah. workers. And it could be, you know, I personally, you know, I've worked quite a bit in engineering and maintenance, and I could see how if you're troubleshooting something on the line and then you have to go back to the shop just to get a manual it's uh it's going to sell save you a ton of time you know it's uh, yeah but there's absolutely like many different cases for different departments i think the use cases are going to be very different right for someone who works more in operations and needs to for example punch in a new recipe into your again like your SCADA system that may not have everything saved it's a recipe that's produced by your sap for example then displaying that recipe on the either iPad or HoloLens, like you've mentioned, could be of extreme value to the operator that's currently working right, on that right. system. Well, that was another that was another kind of gist of what we wanted. We also, you know, we also wanted IQ Agent to be useful to the different roles out on the plant mm -hmm. floor. So you've got your production workers, you got production supervisors, you got your engineers, production engineers, maintenance engineers, you got your supervisors. And so we created use cases for all of those. So for your engineer, think about doing a light test. You got your PLC program. Uh, you got to have two people. You know, you got one person, you know, maybe plugged into the PLC and you got somebody out where the IO is and, hey, did the light come on? Did the light come off? You know, but, uh, you know, with IQ Agent, you can have those points wherever you're at. So you can, you know, you can kind of be around and, and see that information. But we can, you know, for your production supervisors, they can see, you know, where things are up or down. You know, if you've got an engineer at home, they can pull up the points of interest at home. And for the executives, for your C-suite, one of the cool things is they can pull up the key performance indicators on their phone live at any time. Uh, you know, just by, you know, you don't have to scan the QR code. There's a menu that you can pull up. But if you want to know what your base production is and what your production rate, your count is, even if you're, you know, away at lunch or at home, you can get that information. So mm -hmm. we we don't compete with SCADA because that's that's another thing I know from years and years of being in SCADA support and sales is if you compete with SCADA, you're, you're not going to do that. So we extend exactly like you said, the SCADA that they have. Uh, we can extend those data points that they're using if they're web-based. You know, we can, you know, show information from the SCADA system without kind of stepping on SCADA's toes. So we want to have a use case for virtually anyone in the plant because that's going to help the ROI because at the end of the day the ROI is what is going to make or break this or any product is the same to the plant floor because they don't buy glam you know they don't they don't buy fluff you know they'll look at it and go wow that's really cool and I can you know do like Dave said and look around and and see stuff but if it doesn't have ROI and if it doesn't solve a real problem it's not going to sell yeah no absolutely I completely agree with you Dave did you want to yeah, no, no. So I, I was going to say, I, th I think Bob's last comments bring up a good point. I've said, you know, for at least most of this year and probably longer, that for me, the most interesting kind of emerging next next set of technologies is going to be in this AR, VR technology on the plant floor level. And I've also said that, you know, this is the sort of technology, next generation technology you can implement tomorrow for all of the reasons that, that, you know, Bob has said is that it's a relatively low cost. You can start with nearly anything that you use. You know, you can go ahead and tag 
you know, a machine line. And as James mentioned in the comments, you know, he's taken, you know, PDF manuals and put them on HMIs. You know, I think many of us have, you know, taken those and connected them to HMIs or connected them into the SCADA system. But now, as opposed to having to go into the SCADA system, you can go ahead and empower your engineers, your maintenance staff to go ahead and scan it and immediately have access to the manuals, immediately have access to potentially live data, as opposed to the alternative of walking and spending half an hour going to dig out the manuals from somewhere or going to get to a computer and then going to find the SCADA system and figure out where they can log in. It's something that you can immediately do. And I think that for me, it's one of the most exciting emerging technologies of how can we leverage the normal technology that we use in everyday day-to-day -day life at our uh, at our jobs i, I kind of think that it's humorous that you know you know we, we build cars and we build airplanes and we you know make all of the food that everyone has to eat in order to survive but you uh, the operators go from 2021 where they're on facebook up until three minutes before they get into the plant floor to like 1997 where let's hope that the mouse works. And if it doesn't work, we like have to take it out and pull the roller ball out and blow into it and put the ball back in. Like it, it, for me, it's, it's very funny that, you know, so much of the technology that we use and everyone has grown up on or grown accustomed to using just like ends when we walk into the plant floor and this amazing consumer technology, like the iPad as Bob described, are so difficult to go ahead and leverage uh, within the plant floor itself. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, and that's a great point, and I do see that. Uh, I do see more adoption, but I still see a lot of plants that are, you know, filling out, you know, paper forms and, and doing check boxes, and then they go hand it to somebody, and they got a stack of these on their desk, and they're entering into a data into Excel, and then somebody else is sucking this into a database. You know, um, and one of the things that you know when I talk to people about IQ Agent is that it is a digitalization platform for a very low cost. We can do the first step toward getting you to using the mobile devices because you know we can force you to digitize those documents and organize them. Uh, and it's funny because I've had discussions you know, with a, a, a actually a pretty big brewing company that they loved the product. They said, well, you know, we don't have time to organize our documents. And I said, guys, you don't have time to not organize your documents because if you can't find them, then the guy that's got to do the PM or the guy that's got to do the troubleshooting or the guy that's got to go find the schematics to order a part, you know, when you really need it, they're not going to be able to find it. But the one of the, the big things, though, you know, cybersecurity comes into this. Uh, most of the big plants that, that want to use iPads and mobile devices in general you know, they want these things to be managed. So you got mobile device management and this adds another layer of complexity. And a lot of companies look at this and they look at it as this, all right, this is this gigantic task and they don't even want to start. And I think it prevents some of these companies from really taking advantage of mobile technology and AR and, and things like this because, you know, it, it, it can look like quite a daunting task. Yeah, no, I... Completely agree. I've, I've had uh, similar experiences in many manufacturing sites, as, uh, as you've described, Bob. Um, I want to follow up on, um, you know, on a couple of technologies that we've mentioned, which are the headsets, because as you've uh, alluded to, you started in 2011. So all the hardware was not necessarily the same as it is today. So I wanted maybe right. to get your 
um, opinion on what's the current landscape. You know, if you're going into a manufacturing site, what kind of uh, different devices would you see paired with uh, augmented reality? Are there any advantages or drawbacks to like either one? Well, yeah, there are, um, you know, and it really depends on the use case. You know, um, phones and tablets are great, and most people use these, uh, and that, that's the big advantage, uh, you know, is that, you know, they have these, they're used in a lot of companies, will buy iPads or buy, you know, tablets, you know, and they, they're easily managed and things like that. But the downside is you got to use at least one of your hands, you know, to really view the data. And, you know, uh, you know, there's there's one vendor out there that has an augmented reality version, but it only works on the tablet and you have to set the tablet down. Uh, and that's your use case, which doesn't, you know, kind of doesn't make sense for me. Augmented reality, you know, really, uh, you know, to, to really realize its full potential really needs to be hands free. Um, the HoloLens, HoloLens 1 was great. We embraced it when it came out. But that's not really something you're going to have someone working eight hours in. And, and even Microsoft said that. It wasn't fully safety rated. It was big. Uh, you know, the battery life, you know, wasn't great when you're, you know, kind of running these things. Uh, HoloLens 2 is, is better. Um, I think that the, the big advantage right now goes to Realware, uh, head-mounted tablet one. Um, they, when I first saw them, I have to be honest with you, I wasn't impressed. It was a monocle. You know, and I was thinking, okay, well, that's, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, but when I first kind of played around with it, and the big thing is you got to put it on a bump cap or you got to put it on a hardware hat because that makes it stable. If you just, just slap it on your head and you're moving your head and it's kind of jangling around, um, it, it, you know, it's kind of hard to get situated. But once you get used to it and it kind of sits below your eye, um, then it's good because you're hands free and you can go around. And with IQ agent, you can pull up information and you can do things. And, you know, there's all, you know, quite a few of my customers are using at least a couple uh, head mounted tablets. Um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of headgear that hasn't made it out, um, you know, and they were kind of targeted toward manufacturing. But, it, you know, the thing about manufacturing is you got to pay attention to what they're doing. Uh, if you've got a physical tether, uh, that's an okie dokie for most manufacturing plants because you can't have a wedding ring, you can't have a bracelet, you can't have a necklace. And if you do, I don't care if it's under your clothes or if it's a breakaway, it's just not going to happen. So the, the wearables that don't have that are going to have the advantage. Um, I think, right, you know, the, the HMT1 is probably the most practical. Uh, Vuzix has got some nice stuff out there, but it is tethered. Uh, some are, you know, wirelessly tethered back to, you know, mobile device. Um, the, you know, the Holland's 2 is not, and it is a, it is a very nice unit, but, um, you know, the suites that come with the software and everything like that, uh, it's kind of hard to buy like 10 or 15 or, you know, five dozen of those things because it's a, it's a pretty big thing. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of development that goes into that. So mostly what I've been seeing in America, it's iPads um, and HMT ones, and then a smattering of kind of the others, and then the labs will have the HoloLens. Uh, in Europe, it is uh, Android devices. You know, I've got mm -hmm. some resellers over in Europe, and you know, they've they've been kind of beating on me to get an Android tablet version, which is kind of tough because I don't have pressure here in the U.S. for that. I have pressure, you know, more for the you know for the tablet based. But uh, there's a lot of vendors coming online. 
uh, you know, you've got third eye and you've got, you know, there's, there's a lot of medical devices that are coming out and, you know, people are seeing that augmented reality for manufacturers is a lot better bet than Pokemon Go and games, uh, which are very cool. And you, you know, you've got wide acceptance, um, but manufacturing, uh, those people have money and those people will spend it once you get to it. Uh, so I think over the next year and 18 months, there's going to be even more head-mounted stuff coming out. Um, I think Realware has actually come out. I don't know if it's new hardware yet, but they call it Explore, and I've got a, I just got an email about it. I got to go look at it. But I think over the next 18 months, you're going to see even more coming out uh, as development comes. And the one I'm waiting on is Apple. Um, they have, you know, there's been a lot of hype. Uh, they're going to come out with something. Uh, and I know this from just like many different fronts. Uh, the question is, number one, is it going to be manufacturing friendly? Or are they going to tether it to an iPhone? I think they probably will, which is going to really hurt them. Uh, but maybe they won't. Um, you know, I love Apple products and everything, but they, they tend to not really focus on manufacturing at all. Uh, and I wish they would, but that's the one I think everybody's kind of looking at. And I've, I've seen also that uh, I think Google has said that they're going to be coming out with something. But again, I don't know if it's going to have a manufacturing context. And that's a 2022, right, time frame, if I'm not mistaken, for the for, for Apple? For Apple? For yeah. Apple. They have yeah. said 20, I've heard 2022 and I've heard 2023. Okay. Um, I do know that it's been a couple of years. They bought a lens manufacturer. They bought, was it Medio? Uh, they, you know, they bought, you know, they bought a lot of stuff and, you know, as an iOS developer, when you get some of these, you know, new beta releases, you see these cryptic comments that look like they, you know, kind of allude back to, you know, uh, you know, gestures and, you know, and things like that, uh, which, you know, the current, um, uh, you know, the current AR libraries don't, don't support that yet. Uh, you, you know, something's up. Uh, Tim Cook is not returning my calls, even though I am an Auburn fan. Uh, so I guess I'm gonna have to wait for the rest of the world, you know, to find out what they're doing. Tim, if you're listening, you'd send me an email. Tim, if you're listening, send all of us an email. We would love to come to the mothership for a live show. That's, that's exactly right. But uh, but you no, know, I I would agree with your uh, your assessments on there, Bob. And I would say to be fair to Apple as a whole kind of everything that they've developed in the last two or three years have gone much back to their, you know, pro and prosumer roots. And I think, uh, right. you know, with, with the Mac Pro a couple of years ago that came out, that and then with all of the M1 chips that have come out, you know, their, their own silicon, I think that that may be the, we need, to do, we need to create our own silicon so that we can then go ahead and leverage that in our glasses. And I'm personally really happy that they didn't put like an A15 chip or an A16 chip in glasses. And then we all run out to buy them and then they come out with the M1 chip. And then we are like, well, now we have to go buy these because no one wants, you know. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and so I, I think that, that that could be on the horizon. Um, I would also say that to, to kick off this, we had Jeff Winter and he's uh, he's newly with Microsoft. And I'm excited with what Microsoft is doing um, as a whole within the manufacturing space. It seems like they are, they kind of like all of the major companies are, are more focused, more pushing. Um, and they realize that manufacturing could be a good, you know, opportunity for them to increase business. So I, I think yeah. that there is lots of hope that the tech leaders of, well, the last two decades are paying more attention to what we're doing 
And I think, you know, you, I, Vlad, many of the people listening to this are probably putting themselves in a good position to embrace some of this new technology, even if it takes another five years to get onto the plant floor. Right. And it's, you know, I agree. And we have an, uh, you know, a, a, an AR version of IQ agent for that, for, you know, for supporting iOS devices. And it's really nice. We use the QR code for an anchor. Um, and then you can, you know, break out your point of interest, like your data points and place them around the machine. It's live, you know, it's, you can author a point in seconds and then everybody can see it. But I always tell people when I show them this, they say, man, that is the coolest thing. I can't wait to get this on my plant floor. And I said, okay, but wait a minute, your hands are going to be encumbered when you use this. And they always say, well, why did you build it? And I said, I built it to be ready for glasses. Now, I built it so that I could very easily, just like I showed you the HoloLens in a bar several years ago, if I can show you this on an iPad and you have this great AR scene that I can create in mere moments and it can be shared and yet they, people see how easy that is to do, then it's very easy to imagine seeing that on glasses. And so, you know, the, the hands-free aspect for AR is where the promise is, uh, in my opinion for manufacturing and manufacturing is the perfect place for augmented reality uh it, it it really is and i could probably talk for days on it but uh i think microsoft has led um i think they'll continue to lead i think there's some things that i wish they would consider uh and i wish some other companies would get in you know kind of get in on it but you know the the hollands is brilliant um you know and i i hope they continue and i share your optimism I really like your answer, Bob. I wanted to uh, follow up a little bit, and you've already mentioned some of these points, but what does the, uh, I guess, transition from an iPad or just, I guess, the training process in general for you look like? So let's say you're going to a new facility and you're looking to train up some, you know, managers and probably supervisors as well as operators on how to use uh, your system or let's say augmented reality in general. And let's say the facility has bought everybody a HoloLens. So they've all got these goggles. Obviously, you can show them on an iPad. But what is the transition? Um, and I guess the feedback or the first impressions that you get, is it complicated for people? Is it very easy? How is the navigation, I guess, when you want to, again, if you're looking at a pump and you want to pull up some of these documents, how does it look to them on you know, the HoloLens versus the iPad? What are the, the comments that you're hearing? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Vlad. And uh, on the on the iPad and iPhone, it's really easy because you know, uh, with the assumption that the it's just like the SCADA, you know, uh, you get engineers to build the SCADA, and then the operators just use it. So if the if the SCADA op, you know, if the SCADA engineer did a pretty good job of setting up the menus, then it's easy to use. With IQ Agent, it's 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 actually easier with these devices because you just say, okay, walk up to the equipment of your choice you know, launch the app, point it at the equipment, and you're going to see stuff, uh, you know, and, and, and so that is, you know, within a moment or two, they get it. Um, with the RealWare uh, headset, it's the same, you know, you just have to say, go into scan mode, look at the QR, and then boom, the information goes there. Now, there's a little bit more uh, training-wise with that headset, simply because now, because it's hands-free, you have to use your voice to navigate rather than your fingers. And mm -hmm. so, you know, th that is a little bit, you know, 
it, it, I have to say that that Realware has done a, a a pretty bang up job with their voice recognition, uh, and it, it it's pretty good. You know, you um, when you're entering data, you can use phonetics or you can use you know free speech and things like that. It works in noisy environments, so there's a little bit more training involved. You know, with that to navigate with your voice. And so usually when I'm training people on it, you know, the whole thing about Realware is if you have a button that says scan uh, and, and you instinctively know that if you could tap that button, it would bring up a scan window. But with Realware, instead of tapping it, you just say scan. And mm -hmm. then it will translate that into that command and then you can do it. Now with HoloLens, um, it's, it's very similar. But, you know, you can use QR codes with HoloLens, and what you have to do is you use a voice command scan code. It'll find the code. But with, uh, with mixed reality or with, you know, real augmented reality, then you have to have what you call a scene. Um, and from a user perspective that is just viewing the information, we're going to assume the scene is created. Uh, and then they just have to know how to pull up the scene. So you can pull it up with a menu. Uh, and like with HoloLens, you've got voice commands, you know, show menu, and then you navigate, uh, you know, you can say the words, and then it comes to uh, the the POI, and you can pull it up. But with the HoloLens, if you've got your scene created, you've got this big floating point of interest, uh, and then you can just, uh, you know, place your cursor on that and, and um, you know, basically use a voice command to open up the point of interest and then you've got a pointer and you have to just kind of move your head and go you know get the pointer and then you can use the tapper or something like that so they've they kind of uh you know had a um uh, a merged system where you're using both your gaze you know a little dot and then you've got your gesture so you've got gestures to open up a poi tap a button close a poi and then you've got your pointer where you just put it on the control and use your clicker or say something. So there's a little bit more training there, you know, for our system in order to use it. But I will tell you that, you know, like, you know, Dave's story at the uh, at the first of the show, they all learned to interact with it, you know, very quickly under the influence of some alcohol, maybe one or two drinks. So it wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, you know, with the other, you know, the you know, what I call the uh, um, custom systems, you know, that, that you find out uh, out there on the others, you know, uh, you know, there's varying degrees of difficulty, but I think by and large, augmented reality, if it's designed well, is not, not really that hard to use. Uh, it's just learning, you know, uh, with a, you know, with goggles, you're not going to be using a keyboard. You're not going to be using your hands. If you are, then they did not design it that well. You know that you you know gestures are kind of where we need to go. So does that does that answer kind of what you're looking for? No, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm very excited to see some of these in real life. Dave has certainly a lot more experience in these applications than I do, um, but it paints a really good picture. I really appreciate it, Bob. Oh, and cool. To, uh, yeah, and to, to add what Bob was saying, I would so I've. Bob has let me play on his HoloLens uh, a little bit. I, I have a set of real wear goggles that I've used uh, for some like 
customization of systems and I've done some work on, you know, iPads in the past. And I would say to, to Bob's point that if the systems are designed well, they should all be exceptionally intuitive. A lot of it is, you know, are you a touch person or are you a voice command people? I know some people who are exceptionally good at navigating within realware. I am absolutely not one of those people. It takes me like an hour. It takes me an hour every time I go to, to start working on it to, to re-remember all of the commands. But I think once you are regularly working on it, if you can get over kind of that relatively small uh, small screen, that relatively small, you know, hands-free tablet, then it works very well straightforward. I would also like to say that I've seen I haven't used any, but I've seen some com concepts of some like wrist mounted tablets. I mean, I think they're, they're generally uh, Android, but I imagine you could probably put like one of the new iPad minis on there. And, and for me, if I was looking to design a system, I would look really hard at those because I think it gives you the flexibility of going ahead and touching and typing as you would normally while it also gives you the ability to use the voice and, and everything else. So I, I think the, yeah. the wrist mounted tablets for me are, are some of the most exciting uh, opportunities to get started, even if I've never seen one um, in use. And so yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to continue this conversation, Bob, but first we have to thank our sponsors, which means I have to ask Vlad for his awkward laugh so I can do the ad read. <laughs> okay. You'd think at some point he'd actually make a, uh, he'd make an ad read, um, Noise, but he has yeah, that, That's what he keeps saying. Uh, but but no. So uh, again, we'd like to thank thank Siemens for sponsoring this theme and uh, continuing to support us at Manufacturing Hub. And with that, we're talking about another 2022 event. So Siemens and Electromatic are inviting all of us to join more than 3,500 manufacturing executives, engineers, and enthusiasts at Manufacturing in America 2022 inside Ford Field in downtown Detroit, Michigan. That's on March 23rd and 24th. And as I said last week, don't worry, Ford Field is domed. They're not insane like the people in upstate New York who want to build a new stadium without a dome. Uh, but there we're going to learn about the newest technologies, share best practices and ideas, and be part of advancing the future of manufacturing. So this is an in-person event, and they're calling it hashtag MIA22. It's free to attend, uh, but registration is required to take part in the Thought Leadership Summit. Um, over 100 seminars and over 50 exhibits focused on digitalization, automation, controls, and drive technologies. Um, with that, I know Vlad and I and a few other people are working on figuring out how exactly we can get there and when we're hopeful to be able to do more of this style show there and pull in a bunch of information from everyone else. Uh, so we will go ahead and drop the link to that Um We'll go ahead and drop the link to that in the comments below. Uh, again, thank you to Siemens, and we hope to see at least a couple of you out there. Uh, yes, we hope to see at least a couple of you out there um, in Detroit next year. Boom. Uh, so, yeah. So, I, I, I like this. Um, I think that I want to touch on a couple of struggles, right? So, anyone looking to implement emerging technologies are going to find struggles. And I know Bob and I have uh, like the third hour of our conversation last week, we were sharing some like <laughs> war struggles, right? Because while this is like one of the best technologies that you could implement in theory tomorrow, 
it's not for everyone, right? Like, and I know, uh, so, so Bob, Bob, do you want to share a couple of the, the struggles that, that you have found um, either like the type of organization or like the physical hardware? Like if you don't have Wi-Fi across the plant, mm -hmm. this is not a good solution for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in 10 years, you know, I've, I've seen and heard quite a bit, uh, you know, not having wireless is, is a no-go. Usually when I'm talking to customers, uh, you know, I'll ask, hey, are you using mobile devices on the plant floor? Do you want to, uh, you know, do you have wireless? Do you have good coverage and things like that? You don't have to have complete coverage, but do you have good coverage? And that's kind of one of them. Uh, the first struggle that I encountered with my very first customer is it took six months to get IT to let iPads on their plant network. Mm -hmm. um, iPads were brand new. They had just They had just bought a whole bunch of them. But IT, you know, didn't, you know, didn't want to do it. And so uh, the person that I worked with uh, kind of set up something, uh, you know, uh, on, on his own in a, in a lab to allow people to come in and see it. And his um, strategy was to get production and engineering and maintenance and you know the executive suite on board for this so hard that they would gang up on IT and make them push it through, and it still took six months, uh, you know. But they did that, and you know, of course, IT, you know, uh, it's their job to be the wardens. Uh, they have to be like that. Uh, security, uh, you know, for manufacturing plants, uh, you know, is is uh, uh, is pretty big, uh, and so they have to, you know, take that stance. Somebody's got to take that stance. Uh, and so they get kind of a hard wrap there, um, you know, so, you know, having that wireless coverage and things like that. Now, um, you know, we do have uh, like our forms capability, workflow capability. They do work offline. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have an IQ agent offline, you know, for field service or areas of the plant. But another struggle uh, is just kind of what we touched on earlier where, well, I've got all this work that I got to do to get prepared, and it's usually around organizing their documents and organizing their stuff. But the thing is, you're never, ever going to grow. You're never going to be able to take advantage of digitalization, digitalization if you don't have these resources organized. And, uh, you know, I've, there's been a lot of studies how much a single piece of paper costs manufacturing plants in a year. And it could be a, a schematic that people have to check out, or it could be, you know, the, you know, if you think about a paper form, and you got people running around the plants filling out a paper form, and somebody, you know, one person doesn't write that well, and so it's going to call, it's going to waste time trying to figure out what this person was trying to say, uh, or they make a mistake, or they don't fill something out, which you know that that happens all the time. So if you have an electronic form then you can really mitigate those risks. You know, they're typing or they're using text input or speech input or they're selecting from dropdowns. You don't have a problem reading that and you can force them to fill everything out. With our forms, I can embed a video because another thing is, oh, they go to the form, they don't have to do that step. You can embed a video in that step. Hey, watch the video, it's gonna show you how to do it. So you can, you can actually have people at a, uh, at a lower experience level performing at a higher level because we're using electronic resources and we're using forms uh, or you're giving them instead of going to look for a document. Um, one of the big use cases for our first customer was they were FDA regulated. 
they and once they started using IQ Agent, they never took a hit for the wrong version of a manual being on a workstation because usually they'd have one stuffed in a drawer. Well, guess what? FDA is going to find that if it's anywhere, they're going to find it. Um, and so, but you know, convincing companies that you need to spend this time. And usually the approach that I take is you don't have to eat the entire elephant at once. Take your 10 most requested, most important documents, and we can do those in an hour. And then let's get the iPads out there. Let's get those 10 things out there. Let's get those 10 operators using it. Let them be the evangelist. Hey, it was great. I just scanned it, pulled up the document, filled out a form. I was done. They talk about it in the lunchroom or, you know, whatever. Next thing you know, other people want to use it. And then you do the next 10 most critical and the next 10 most critical. So you don't have to do it all right now. Just, you know, do the do the 10% that is going to make the most impact. Um and another barrier, and this is the big one, um, is with augmented reality and you've got something on your face and you're in, uh, you know, and you're in a plant, one of the biggest things is, you know, if you get distracted by something or you've got this headset on and your peripheral vision, let's, you know, there's, there's been AR and VR, uh, AR headsets out there that block your peripheral vision. You can't do that on a plant floor. You can't see the forklift coming. You know, that that's another thing that they really have to pay attention to. But there's the safety factor. Uh and it's very real. Uh, you know, and, and that's something that's gotta be mitigated. So um, you know, I think the the first couple where, you know, you've just got to do the work and you've got to have your documentation organized and stuff like that. That's work that you have to do and it's going to pay off uh, in orders of magnitude once you get it done and you don't have to do it all at once uh, and we can help you do it uh, you know there's a lot of integrators be happy to help you do it uh, you know but uh, you just kind of have to get past that uh, there is an initial cost uh, depending on the platform that you buy um, and you can start low and kind of go high but you know those are really some of the you know pushback that I've had that's probably ninety percent of the pushback is those things right there, uh, and we've done a pretty good job of mitigating it. But you know sometimes you just kind of got to let it sit and let them kind of gel and you know marinate in the technology and let them see what other people are doing and and they they start to come around. So, so I go ahead, Dave. I, I didn't I have a comment, say, but. I'll go off to you. So, so I, uh, that's fine. So I, I love Bob's kind of comment about documentation. And, and as he was telling that story, I, I worked with uh, two or three companies uh, this spring. And the, the result of that initial work was basically the, hey, we don't have this process. We don't have this. We, we don't have a lot of this. And the answers from them, ironically, were like, we don't have enough time to do this, right? Like, we've got these other things that we're planning to do. And so you go check in with them later. And now they're absolutely slammed. Everyone is working 10 or 11 hour shifts and no one gets any breaks. And the best case scenario for them would have been to do the work that they should have done two or yeah. three months ago, as opposed to, to right. waiting to hold off because they <clears throat> thought that they were busy at the moment and so putting documentation yeah. together or getting those processes and procedures in place well it takes a little bit of time and while the easy answer might just be to pay someone to help you do it or pay some extra staff to come in to go through and, and put that together it I, I have never once see it not pay off in the long run right because something exactly will happen. right yes 
something will happen and it's like oh i really wish i did this three weeks ago six months ago two years ago five years ago when bob told me i needed to do this the first time but but yet <laughs> yet yet we're, we're in this uh in this scenario and in this situation of uh, vlad what were you yeah. gonna say yeah, I mean, I was going to draw on exactly the same, I guess, point from a, a maintenance standpoint. I just think it in many situations, it just might be difficult to quantify, you know, the time lost by your technicians trying to find the right documentation when they need it during a night shift, right? And losing you, let's say, one hour worth of downtime instead of 10 minutes because the manual was readily available, right? And so I think that's way, where maybe this like illusion lies, where we don't have the time, but in reality, you're just paying with the downtime or let's say the mistakes that happen as a result <laughs> of not having that, those procedures in place. But I also wanted to say, I guess, on the last point yeah. of you know the hardware deficiencies, it's interesting to hear that because maybe it is coming from like, let's say the gaming world where those headset, headsets don't need to take care of those blind spots. But you would think that in, in industrial applications, if anything, they could release something with a metaphorical, I guess, rear view mirror, right? Like a camera mounted on the back of your head. So you would be more aware of some of these forklifts or whatever else you have um, in terms of like safety. So maybe think, yeah. there will be some developments, right? As you said, I think there's many more manufacturers stepping in. So maybe there's going to be augmented reality for industrial specifically that will address some of those uh, safety concerns and even make it even better. Yeah, it's it's something that is being worked on. There's a group called Area, which I used to be a part of, that they have worked on, you know, those kinds of things. And, and really, their focus is on standards and saying, okay, you know, if there are standards on safety, on, you know, on, on how you do augmented reality and various things, uh, then, you know, then you're going to get your adoption because they are, um, uh, you know, they, they are trying to you drive adoption for augmented reality and manufacturing. And to, you know, to, to Dave's point, um, you know, one of the things that we used to say is, you know, when you're trying to, you know, quantify, um, we did surveys and, you know, companies were saying that it was typically 30 minutes lost per person per day. So if you've got 15 workers using documents that, and they, you know, and you're paying an average of you know, about 30 bucks an hour, you know, for, you know, maintenance and engineers and stuff like that, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, you can quantify that, you know, mm -hmm. and you can also quantify, like I was talking about the workflow and forms, which are very well suited to augmented reality, where, if they're if they are always completely filling out the report because you don't give them a chance and you never have problems reading the results, and you know uh, and then they're shown, you know how to do the step because it's AR we can use video, uh, then you know it's going to be three times that. Uh, you know the whole point is augmented reality puts information, you know directly in context to the real world, and so it's automatically intuitive. Uh, and, you know, the, the ROI for plants going forward is just going to be absolutely huge, you know, if we can just get this out there. But it's, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback on, you know, I don't want to go, you know, tackle this mountain of paperwork. You don't have time to not tackle that mountain of paperwork. You're always going to lose 
And it's just, you know, and this brings me to the point that I really wanted to make is sometimes a problem has been a problem for so long that it's not recognized as a problem. It just takes an hour to go get my schematics. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. You don't have to live with that problem. And that's the thing that I try to get people to see. That's a, you have to recognize that as a problem that can be solved and solve it. You know, that's, that's like you know that that's the message that i take to these uh, companies so i i love that bob i think that that that's a really good message and i want to kind of finish the augmented reality set portion of this on on a, on a higher note than maybe talking about some problems um so as we're talking about emerging technologies right we're, we're talking about into the future i think at least you and I and probably Vlad agree that we're going to see more of this on the plant floor as to if it takes two years or 20 years to get to mass adoption, I don't know. But as we're looking forward, do you envision that the augmented reality is going to help push more wireless and more kind of of those style of communications and devices onto the plant floor? Do you think it's going to be a bottom push up of, hey, we have to have this, so let's build the infrastructure around it? Or do you think we're going to build the infrastructure around it? And then as soon as we have, you know, good wireless across the plant floor, we're immediately going to start implementing this technology. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really a great question. And I think if you look at what 5G is going to bring, uh, you know, that is a technology that is an enabling technology, just like 4G, just like cellular, just like mobile devices, just like, you know, wireless networks. I've seen all of those, you know, come to pass. And I think it's probably going to be both. Um, I saw the adoption, you know, back, back in the day, you know, when I first started with Siemens back in the early 90s, you know, uh, it was like, well, we're not going to have windows on the plant floor. You know, we're going to stick with our, you know, AIX, Unix, and Linux. You know, and then Windows 95 actually, uh, you know, had some good stuff. Wonderware was on it. And they go, okay, we could do Windows, but it's going to be, you know, Windows NT. And we're not going to use it that much. But we're not going to allow wireless because walking around with technology is just too dangerous and it's, it's not to be trusted. And then it was, well, okay, but not wireless because now they're not tethered and who knows what they're going to do. All right. Uh -huh. And then it was, okay. Uh, you know, not this and not this. And here's a quick story. And, you know, I, I was in uh, one of the larger automotive, uh, uh, automotive companies. And when I first demoed this software back in the day, I was in front of the, one of the VPs of manufacturing. And, um, I, and, and I was set up, you know, in a lab and they brought him in. He was a really cool guy. I, I was uh, very nervous, very excited. And I showed him the technology with an iPhone and with an iPad. And he, you know, hooked up his iPhone. He thought it was really cool. And I, I thought everything was really going great, you know. And then, you know, after, you know, after about an hour, you know, I asked him, okay, well, what do you think? And he goes, wow, this is a great technology. I, I love absolutely what you're doing. We will never use this on our plant floor. And I said, okay why and he said well uh if you go on our plant there's this uh giant sign that says there will be no cameras or recording devices uh, on the production floor i said i've seen that sign and i said i have to tell you that every worker out there has got an iphone or an android phone in their pocket and i know that they use them and he he said you know you're right and i said so is it that you ignore that rule or or what? Because the sign is still there. And these guys actually adopted their policy for my application. 
Um, and they went from you can't have it at all or you can't pull it out to there are certain circumstances where you can use this. And, you know, and, and mobile device management allows you to, you know, remotely really enforce that, um, you know, because you can enforce, okay, I'll turn your camera off if you walk into this room where we're having very sensitive things going on. Or if you're walking around, I'm just going to turn off your camera because I want you paying attention to your surroundings. Um, so I think the adoption for AR, if you use the litmus test, and I have a saying, and not everybody likes this saying, you know, but I, my, my saying is don't let technology get in the way of a darn good solution. Uh, you know, people beat on me, oh, you're using QR codes. That's, you know, old technology you should use object recognition. Trust me, I've looked at every technology to tell me exactly where I'm at and which piece of technology. I looked at dead reckoning. You know, I looked at wireless. You know, uh, the fastest way to get kicked out of a plant is to tell them you want to put code on their wireless routers. I mean, you, you, you I mean, you teleport to the parking lot. You don't even say goodbye. And so, uh, you know, I've looked at the technology and that's the best technology to use. It's not the coolest technology. All right. But it's the best technology until there's better. I mean, and there, there's a lot of kind of ways to do it, but none of them, you know, is as fail safe as that. Um, and so I think that if we are creating augmented reality applications that provide real value, that uh, appeal and solve real problems, and at a you know at a, uh, a cost point that allows people to digitize, and you know our price point is below ten thousand dollars, you know to get and you get a full digitalization package that can get you right there where you need to be, um, you know then I think from the ground up you're going to get some because this makes it accessible to your smaller manufacturing plants. It doesn't have to be a big chem farm or automotive or whatever, you know, it can be a smaller plant. And I do have, I got a bakery in Canada that uses the daylights. I got a 20 client license up there. They got it on all their ovens, on their distribution. They absolutely love it. Um, I do also think that because of the infrastructure coming in that people, you know, are seeing the other technologies is going to have kind of this, you know, big effect where, well, you know, uh, you know, 5G is coming and we have, you know, uh, this cloud technology we want to use and we have, you know, this technology we want to use. And in order to get ready for this, one of the things we have to do is organize our documents and we have to use these mobile devices to take advantage of these different technologies. And then once you do this, you know, just like a plant says, hey, mobile devices, you know, I see benefit in that. Well, once they have mobile devices, that enables them to use augmented reality and use some of these others. And once you're using AR, then it's a smaller leap to wearable AR, you know, because the biggest problem is if you go into a plant and they're not even using digital, they don't, they're not using mobile, uh, you know, platforms, you're not going to get them to stick a goggle, a set of goggles on their head. That's, that's, that's way too much. Uh, and so I think a lot of the technology coming down the pipe is what I call, uh, you know, enabling technology. Uh, you know, it's it's there. It, it allows the plant to embrace this. Uh, so I so the short answer to your question, I think it's going to be both. I think it's going to be from the ground up and that they're going to adopt the technology because it solves some problems. But also some of these other infrastructures and other applications coming in like 5G and, and cloud and things like that uh, is going to make the step into AR a lot easier to do. I love it, Bob. 
I, I was going to say we have to get to the, uh, the the rapid fire questions, but I feel like Vlad has like a thousand more questions. So let's <laughs> let, let's let Vlad ask one last question, and then we'll jump into the rapid fire questions, and we'll wrap it up for everyone. Okay, great, great. Yeah, yeah, um, Bob. I want to ask about you know the next features that you see that would make you know augmented reality even better than what it currently is. Is there anything? that you're looking forward to anything again, maybe not necessarily very applicable, but awesome. And just like really um, exciting and kind of uh, something that you're looking forward to uh, again, could be on the hardware side, could be on the software side. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's in the years to come? Well, well, there's a lot there. And I think really the first thing is we've got to have a wearable that is comfortable, that is uh, safety uh, compliant uh, that someone can use uh, that's going to meet, you know, whatever requirements the manufacturing is going to throw at it. And I think we're getting there. Uh, you know, I, I have high hopes, you know, for what Apple is going to be doing. And even, you know, if they are tethered and if they're not accepted on the plant floor, they're going to show people on the plant floor what is possible. And there are a lot of manufacturers that are going for that. And you're not going to have that, you know, like the HoloLens one, was cool. It was bulky, but you, you know, you're not going to start with the end product. That was a transitory product. HoloLens 2 is a transitory product. Who knows what HoloLens 3 is going to be? So I think the first advancement is going to be a true uh, AR-capable um, wearable. And I think, you know, you're going to start to see standards. There are standards coming out for uh, AR, and that's going to help the adoption. Um, but, and this is kind of going on out there, Vlad, I, I'm going to warn you, but um, that is also transitory. The next thing is going to be, I don't need a wearable to see it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk, uh, who also doesn't return my calls, is working on something called a neural lace that gives us, uh, you know, a, a, a mind to computer interface. Um, and this is not going to happen in the next couple of years. I mean, we already have technology that allows people to move a cursor with their mind, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they've got monkeys and they've got rats and stuff, you know, doing this. And uh, they actually have these uh, encephalographs you can put on your head and you have to train. Basically what you're doing is you're training the helmet so that when you think a certain thing, it can recognize that and then it can execute a command. Uh, and I did a, uh, you know, there's actually a software development kit, uh, you know, that uh, that allows you to do that rudimentarily. Uh, but as this, you know, I think 30 years from now, maybe even 20 years from now, uh, you're going to have Neuralink interfaces that allow you to, you know, be able to inter interface with technology directly. Uh, I definitely think it's coming. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the fact that Facebook now is meta and they're talking about, uh, you know, virtual landscapes and, and being able to interact, uh, you know, glasses and goggles and tablets are just, these are tools, you know, we're, you know, we're still used to using tools, uh, but we're going to get away, you know, humanity is going to get away from that. And, uh, and, and so I think the brain interface, um, the, the non-invasive brain interface is going to really revolutionize this and i read a lot of science fiction you know i've uh, i've got some references uh but this is i really feel like that's where it's going as far as from the software the glasses 
you know, the true augmented reality glasses that is going to across the board be the Apple iPhone of wearable technology. It's going to give you technology like wayfinding. Okay. So I'm in a plant uh, and I've got an alarm and I'm not, you know, and, and I'm kind of new. Well, wayfinding can, can basically lead me with breadcrumbs through this plant to the problem. All right. So, you know, we've talked about augmented reality, allowing people with a lower experience level uh, performing at a higher level because they have in-context information uh, that allows them to not worry about going to get the information and instead focusing on fixing the problem. Things like waypoint finding, which there is, you know, there's Holland's development that's been done on that. We can drop breadcrumbs. We can lead people directly to where they need to be, you know, or for meetings and things like that. Uh, but it all, you know, it, it all is very um, dependent on having the first true wearable uh, AR platform. And then once we have that and we have the standards in place, we, we overcome these safety barriers and, and we overcome, you know, the, uh, the other barriers of, you know, getting, getting things organized. That's when the singularity is going to happen with augmented reality on the planet floor. No, absolutely. And I really appreciate that perspective. I, I mean, I completely agree. And I think a lot of that will also translate to outside of manufacturing, right? Because again, there's Absolutely. many, oh, many yeah, applications yeah. in our daily <laughs> life that could that could be augmented. Again, something as simple like you mentioned, you have a meeting, for example, and instead of checking your phone while well, it's in room 202 in a unknown facility, so then, then you have to look at the map, you know, to find out where it's at. Well, it could kind of lead you to where that is because it knows the plan of the building and what the uh, what the navigation is. But no, I mean, there's, there's tons yeah. of... Uh, real life applications. I'm, it's just like the first one that, that came to mind, but no, I really appreciate that yeah. perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to add, if I can add very quickly to that, you know, it's like in the plan, I've made comments to customers that augmented reality will be able to replace physical panels, physical HMI devices, but in the real world, it could replace signs. It could replace, you know, there's so much that of hard things that don't need to be there. Think of being right. in a, you know, a building that doesn't have any of these, but but if you're augmented, uh, you know, these could be there. They could be changed at any time. There's the, it requires no building. You know, the the, the implications are profound. Uh, yep. You know, for for what it could do. I think the future is absolutely exciting, Bob, and, and I hope everyone. <laughs> I, I hope everyone listening is 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 as excited as uh, as we are because we're going to continue to uh, we're going to continue to be part of it. Um, and like you alluded to it a bit in your uh, a bit in your last comment, uh, but this is the point in time where I, I like to joke. This is our hashtag not sponsored audible segment in which I ask you for some book recommendations and you go ahead and or Vlad goes ahead and downloads them immediately. Uh, but you have a couple <laughs> uh, you have a couple of very interesting futuristic book recommendations. C can you tell everyone what you would recommend? I, I really can. And I just uh, I'm an absolute fanboy of this kind of uh, 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 of, of fiction, but uh, the first one going back, uh, oh, I guess my first best one is Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Uh, you cannot watch the movie and appreciate that book. You've got to read the book, uh, especially for those who grew up in the 80s. And basically, um, it is about, you know, this virtual world called the Oasis, and the world's kind of gone to complete crap and global warming and things like that. And everybody's in poverty. But the developer of this, uh, a guy named James Halliday, 
um, you know, invented the Oasis and it only cost a quarter to join. And you had, you know, this uh, haptic, uh, haptic gloves and goggles and it was completely immersive. You, you couldn't even really tell it from the real world. And people went to school in it and, and things like this. But the whole point of the book is there's a hidden, after he dies, it triggers a video to everyone. And there's this Easter egg that if you uh, find the Easter egg, uh, then, you know, you become the inheritor of the company Oasis and you get to run the Oasis. And it's a fantastic book. Um, there's another one that is prophetic by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash. And uh, that was done, I think, back in the in the uh, in the late 90s and before all of this happened. But, uh, you know, it's a it's about the same type of world where you have a virtual world and people have avatars and you can buy real estate and you do business there. And uh, the, the, you know, the whole idea is that someone invents a virus that people, because they're using a brain interface, if they get this virus, it actually affects them physically. Uh, and it is it's a very entertaining book and a very good one. Uh, and the last one is kind of the opposite of this where uh, it's called Damon by Daniel Suarez. And this was when the internet was new but it, it was uh, basically the concept is the death of, you know, this game programmer triggered uh, a takeover of the Internet, and he sought to change the entire world order by gamifying real life and bringing down companies and bringing down corporations and bringing down countries, but allowing people to be able to survive and thrive on their own governance and it is a it is a fascinating book uh and so uh i can't recommend those enough because i think they're enjoyable uh but they are also prophetic because i think they they can kind of open your mind to where technology can go both the good and the bad and give you kind of just kind of a, a an eye-opening and mind-opening experience of you know how technology can be used so those are my recommendations no very exciting. I think it'll give everyone many things to think about uh, over over the assumed holiday break uh, coming up. Uh, thank you, Bob. So uh, next is who should reach out to you? Uh, as far as uh, you mean from a, a standpoint of people that want to use my product, um, you know, basically what we can do is help you digitize your plant floor. And, you know, what we try, what I my 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 60 second elevator pitch is you know we make information relevant to what you're doing show up instantly on your mobile device or your wearable device and so you point your device at a piece of equipment um and you know we do a lot more than that but that's kind of our core thing so companies that have a lot of automation companies that have a lot of documentation companies that need to take their paper forms and go and, and get these in electronic format we provide a very cost effective uh, application that will allow you to do this base level digitization. It installs in 10 minutes. You know, uh, you know, it's it's a it's an on-prem thing. So if you've got a lot of automation, if you've got your documentation, if you want to dip your toe in augmented reality uh, and try out these new devices, um, it is a very low risk pilot because you know we can kind of work across these devices. Um, those that should not. You know, uh, on the other hand, if you, if, you know, if you haven't yet, if you don't have a wireless or if you're, you know, if you're a non-automated process, uh, you don't have a lot of documentation, you know, 
uh, you know, things like that, then we might not be as helpful yet. Um, but hopefully that, that uh, gives some listeners some uh, direction on that. Absolutely. No, I think you've absolutely given many people uh, things to think about. So last question uh, for you, Bob, is do you have a people, do you have uh, some career advice for folks in automation or in manufacturing? Yeah, I do. And, you know, there's a lot of great advice that I see out there, you know, hire smart people and things like that. And, I, you know, what, what I'm going to say is not earth shattering, but I think personal happiness uh, in this life, life is, is of utmost importance. And, you know, I see a lot of people um, that uh, go into professions because they make a lot of money and not because they love them. And you end up with a lot of uh, semi-rich, very unhappy people. And I've met quite a few, uh, you know, like that. And, uh, you know, my, my best friend's wife was a lawyer. She was a very good lawyer. She's a fellow veteran. Uh, but she got into law and she decided that she didn't like it. Uh, and so now she's a school teacher. Now she's making a third as much, but she's 50 times as happy and she's very good at it. And I think that was a very, very brave thing she did because she walked away from a very big degree and from a partnership deal where she could be making, you know, lots and lots of money. But it was more important to her to be happy. And I think, you know, she has been a very big uh, inspiration to me. So my advice is, Find what you, what makes you happy. Um, obviously, you know, you've got, you know, like if, you know, I like to brew beer. I like to, you know, automation and writing code appeals to me uh, and, and, and technology appeals to me. I'm not going to say every single thing I do at work makes me happy, but most of the things that I do at work make me happy. And so if you're happy, you're going to be good at it. And if you're going to, and if you're good at it, you're going to make money and you're going to, you know, enjoy that. And I've told my kids that uh, I think they're both going into professions that they're very good at and they seem to enjoy. Uh, and so that's, that's really the best advice that I can give. No, that, 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 I think that's fantastic advice and probably something many of us uh, need to hear uh, on a more regular basis than we do, but no, thank you very much, Bob. Um, and thank you, everyone. This has been episode 41 of the Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy over here, Vlad. Uh, if you have not already, please go ahead and subscribe to all of our channels and rate us five stars on your podcast and do all those things because apparently it matters and we've done enough of these that we need to start asking you guys to, uh, to go ahead and do that. Uh, again, we've got a giveaway going. If you're listening in December of 2022 uh, on the Manufacturing Hub webpage, you guys can go ahead there, uh, check all of that out and catch all the updates next week if you're watching us live on the 27th vlad and i are going to do some sort of mega stream um and we'll see you guys there until next week we'll see you guys all soon bye-bye thank you everyone. all right thank thanks you, everyone Appreciate it's it. been a blast thank you vlad thank you dave we'll see you soon